And so this morning, we're going to dive back in there. We're going to pick up in verse 12, and we're going to talk a little bit about a little bit more about why Paul is writing this letter, why it's applicable to us today at Summit Church uh, here in, in, uh, in, in southern Maine and, um, and all of those things. But to kind of launch into this, I wanted to talk about one word. And so as I say this word, I want you to think about what it means to you. What, do you, what is kind of your first thought when you think about this word? You ready for the word? Remain. Remain. Have you ever thought about remain and kind of what it means to remain in something, remain doing something, and, and things like that? So, so uh, let me tell you a quick story. Um, yesterday, I saw a side of Maine that I've never seen before. Nothing. Okay? I was up in like Jackman area. Has anybody ever been up around Jackman? There are places where you can go where you can look 360 degrees and see nothing. Like, I mean, trees, absolutely beautiful, gorgeous scenery, unreal. But yesterday, um, uh, I, I had a friend of mine that said, hey, I want to I break you in to something main in a, in a very main way, right? And so um, uh, he put me on a snowmobile and said, we're going to go between 100 and 200 miles. So I thought, easy peasy, lemon squeezy, right? 50 miles in, I was done. (laughs) The only issue is, I was about 50 miles from where the truck was. So I had no choice but to remain on this snowmobile that was a little bit not Travis size. Okay? (laughs) And so turning for me was a full body experience, right? Because I had to move my knee. Some of you have been on a snowmobile, so you probably know exactly what I'm talking about. Others of you trust, okay? Um, and so I had to move my knee out because it would just get in the way and sharp turns. I, all I saw were trees, right, in front of me. And, uh, and, and so it was, it was an experience. But I had no choice but to remain, right? I had no choice but to remain on the snowmobile until... The person in front of me led me back <laughs> to where I didn't have to ride on a snowmobile anymore. I had no choice. Some of us are in different situations where we're trying to decide, do I remain? Is this something that I remain in? Is this, is this, is this marriage working? Is this marriage something that I can remain in? Is this, is this relationship working? Is this thing working? Is this job working, right? And so a lot of us spend a lot of energy and time and effort into thinking about, am I remaining in the right things? Am I doing the right things? Is this something I'm supposed to remain in or is this something I'm supposed to step away from. The definition of remain, if you type it into Google and you hit search, there's, there's three definitions that, that pop up, but the three words that I thought were very applicable to where we're going today, today that define remain is this, endure, last, and abide. So to remain means to endure, it means to last, it means to abide. I was reading this week in a book that says this, remaining is all about relationship. 
Isn't that interesting? Remaining is all about relationship. In fact, some of the church experts, which I'm not sure how you become a church expert, but some of the, some of the pro- proclaimed church experts say this about church, that people need a responsibility and a relationship to remain in a church. So what does that mean? People need to feel important and people need to feel loved. Right? And we have those two basic needs within us pretty much everywhere we go. Right? When we're at home, we want to feel important. We want to feel loved. When we're at work, when we're giving our lives to something, we want to feel valuable. We want to feel important. We want to feel like we're making a difference. I had a conversation with a guy a couple weeks ago down in Florida, and he's got a great career. Like He, he, he makes like five times the amount of money that I'm worth, you know, which may not be a lot. But anyway, um, you know, but, but like he's got a great career. He's got a great job. He's very comfortable, uh, um, you know, and, 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 uh, and, and yet he was sitting with me around breakfast talking about how I'm not sure I'm making a difference in the work that I do. What do you think I should do? I had known this guy for like six hours, right? And now he's asking me about career. And, you know, and he was like, what do you think I should do? I want to I feel valuable in what I'm doing, and, 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 and I'm not feeling very important. But we all have those two needs, those two basic needs at the core of our be- being, that we want to be valuable, we want to be important, and we want to be loved. In order to remain in things, in order to remain in something, to endure it, to last, to stick it out, to abide, we want to know that it's valuable, that we feel valuable, and that we're loved, and that there's a relationship in it. This is exactly what Jesus taught in John chapter 15 when he says, I am the vine. You are the branches. Those who remain in me and I in them will bear much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. He says, for apart from me, you can do nothing. Remaining is all about relationship. Remaining in the things of God is about making Jesus your life. Making Jesus your life and then letting everything else flow out of that relationship with Jesus. Paul, who wrote the book of Philippians that we're going to get to in just a second, writes in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, he says it a little differently. He says in the New Living Translation, the kingdom of God is not just a lot of talk, it is living by God's power. And see, so many of us have trouble remaining, so many of us have trouble lasting, so many of us have trouble enduring and, 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 and abiding because we're trying to live on our own power. And so Paul looks at the church at Corinth, which if you want to be, be encouraged about the life of your church, just read through First and Second Corinthians. They were messed up. It gives hope to the church. Really, because Paul had to write some very uh, um, uh, intense things there in First and Second Corinthians, and one of the first things he says, First Corinthians chapter four, the kingdom of God, this whole thing is not just a lot of talk. It's living by God's power. In fact, I would submit to you that there's nothing that's turning people off from the church and Christianity, Christianity today than talk that's not backed up by action. 
There's nothing that's turning people away from what we're doing here and, and the church and, and the people of God and Christianity than, than people who uh, uh, acknowledge God with their lips, acknowledge Him with their lips, turn and walk out the door and deny Him by their lifestyle. A quote by Brennan Manning. He says, the greatest single cause of atheism in the world today is Christians who acknowledge Jesus with their lips, turn and walk out the door and deny Him by their lifestyle. That's what an unbelieving world simply finds unbelievable. And that comes when we try to do all of this and we try to do and we try to be and we try to create on our own power. And Paul says, listen, listen, this, this right here, this thing that you're trying to do, this life, this church, it's not just a lot of talk. It's about living by the power of God. And so Paul had some major themes that he wrote about in the book of Philippians. We talked about a few of them last week. We kind of introduced them, right? He talks about unity. He talks about humility. And one of the big things that he talks about, and it's actually mentioned in every chapter in this letter multiple times. I think in a four-chapter book, it's mentioned at least 12 times. Is joy. Joy. This idea of joy. And the, things that, and the thing that he wants the church to get is that is that the church is called to be the most joy-filled people on the planet. In fact, in John chapter 20, Jesus says, these things are written so that you may have life and live it to the fullest, that your joy may be complete. In two weeks, we're going to talk about how Paul says, make my joy complete by being of the same mind. He's talking about this sense, this, sense, this life of joy. And yet for many of us, for many of us, the first thing to go is our joy. The first thing to go is our joy. And so Paul talks about that here. Let's read in, in, in the book of Philippians, chapter 1, verse 12. We're going to read verses 12 through 18, and then we're going to come back and, and talk about it. Paul says, I want you to know, brothers, that what has really happened to me um, that, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Next, next Sunday we're going to talk all about fear. Verse 15, some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. Verse 16, the latter do it out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed. And in that I rejoice." And so the, the thing that's important for us to recognize here this morning, if we jumped at, back to verse 12, I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. What had happened to Paul? Somebody tell me. He's in prison right now. 
right? He's in prison. And if Paul, the person who on a missionary journey, right, was a part of, was starting your church and he wrote a letter or you had gotten word that Paul was in prison, what would your first reaction be? Everything's ruined. That's exactly what I was going to say. Everything's ruined. Things are, things are coming, crashing down. Where is God? God, why would you do this? Why would you wreck things? Things were going well. Right? Things are out the window now. This whole thing. Might as well go back to what I was doing before. God's obviously not real, right? Paul is in prison. Things done. Right? Things done. I'm glad things have changed and our faith isn't in man anymore. Amen? But, the, but our first reaction would be, oh no, everything's ruined. Paul's imprisoned. And so the first thing that he says here in our passage today, verse 12, is he says, is he says um, I want you to know that what has happened to me has served to advance the Gospel. Don't feel sorry for me. Don't feel sorry for me. He's saying, don't feel sorry for me, but everything is going to be okay. Everything's going to be okay. It's much easier to rejoice in the Lord when everything is going great, right? It's so much easier to rejoice in the Lord when everything's going great, when everything's fitting together, when the money is all there. But how is it possible for us to rejoice in the Lord in hard times, when things are confusing. For as Paul is writing this letter to the church at Philippi, he's chained up in a prison dungeon for the crime of, get this, preaching the Gospel. So not only is Paul in chains, but then the church gets wind of this, they hear this, they read this, and they're like, oh no, oh no. This happened because he was proclaiming the good news of the gospel, this happened because what are we going to do? I don't want to be, you know, I don't want to be like Paul. I don't want to be like that. I don't want to end up like him. Um, yet as hard as it must have been for Paul to be in prison, what makes it even worse is the fact that some, some of the Christians, some of the people in the church at, uh, at Philippi were using the opportunity to try to add more onto Paul's plate. As he's chained in a prison cell, some believers in Rome were questioning Paul's credentials to be an apostle. They were saying things like this, if Paul is so spiritual, why is God allowing these terrible things to happen to him? Implying that Paul may not have been as spiritual as everyone thinks. And because Paul is locked up in prison at times like these, um, same believers in Rome were also seizing the opportunity to exercise their selfish ambition to take over the ministry of preaching. Again, I'm glad the church has come a long way and that we're not trying to push our own agendas anymore. Yet even in the most difficult thing, Paul still finds the opportunity to rejoice. He says in verse 18, he says, and in that I rejoice. Some translations even say, uh, and in this I will rejoice, yes, and will rejoice. He says it two times. How is Paul able to rejoice and have joy in the hard things? The only reason Paul was able to have joy in the hard times, and this is clearly brought out in the passage, is that Paul had a different understanding of what brought him joy. Paul had a different understanding of what brings joy 
than the church at Philippi had and than what I believe we have today. He had a different understanding of what brought him joy. See, see for us, what brings us the most joy? Let's think about that for a second. What brings us the most joy? And if you're taking notes, you can even write some things down. What brings me joy? Question mark. Let's think about it. Family? Family? Ezra is in a, in a season right now where he's jumping off everything, right? And, and then it'll like slip and fall. Like he, he was doing this thing the other night. It was real acrobatic. He was jumping from one of our footrests onto a couch cushion, right? And he did it about 10 times. And we told him to stop after uh, each time, but he, he just kept doing it, real obedient. Um, and, and, and the 11th time or so that he did it, the, the, the uh, step stool as he went to launch. Now, nobody called child services, okay? Because <laughs> I'm telling you this in confidence, right? I'm trusting you, okay? Right as he was launching, the, the footstool flipped on him, right? And so then he never got airborne, right? He just went parallel on that thing and hit his hit his side on that, right? He immediately screamed. I immediately laughed. And Kristen immediately tended to his need because I thought it was hilarious, right? I mean, again, don't call child services. I love my son, okay? He brings me great joy, okay? And, uh, and, and, and I thought it was great because I knew that five seconds after he got that little cry out, right? Because sometimes we just need a good cry, right? Five, after that, right, he went for his 12th attempt, he adjusted things, right? He took that step stool. He got it a little bit closer to the couch cushion, and then he went again, right? I can tell you story after story about how my kids are bringing joy to, to my life right now. My family brings joy. Other things that bring us joy, right? Work, possessions, freedom, money, holidays, supporting a winning sports team. I don't know anything about that right now in March. Got my Tar Heel socks on for those of you. <laughs> Brings me joy. I can't believe I just did that. <laughs> but none of these things could be what brought Paul the most joy because he didn't have them with him, he didn't have these things around him. He was in a dungeon, he was in a prison cell. None of these things, not, not, not family, not possessions, not freedom, he's in chains, not money, not, not days off, not sports teams, not this, not that. None of these things could have brought him joy because they weren't around him. So what was it that brought Paul the most joy? And according to this passage, we don't have to take a guess at that. We can see two things here that brought Paul the most joy. And the first is this. You look at verse 12. I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. The first thing that brought Paul the most joy was the furtherance of the gospel, was the spread of the gospel, was Jesus being made known to the nations, was Jesus being made known to people. Nothing else mattered. As long as that was happening, Paul had joy. What brought Paul joy was Jesus being made known to people. He says to the church, the things that's happened to me has actually turned out for the furtherance of the gospel. The gospel's being spread. 
Why? Because the imperial guard, some translations say the praetorian guard, those guys were the toughest of the tough. They were the navy seals of Paul's day. You didn't mess with the praetorian guard. And because of that, no one had access to them. No one had access to them. In this time, they were a part of Caesar's household. No one had access to them to, to further the gospel with them. And, and, um, and yet Paul here, because of his chains, because of his situation, because of his circumstance, that again, our response and, and the church at Philippi's response probably, um, um, oh no, everything's ruined, right? Paul actually says, no, 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 no. The gospel's being spread to the imperial guard, a people that you can't reach, a people that you don't have access to, a people that you don't have a platform with. See, there are people in this room that have a platform, whether it's in nursing, whether it's in teaching, whether it's in, 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 in machines or, or cars or, or, or different things, concrete, different things. Some of you in here have platforms with people that I don't have. I don't have. Now, I can, go to a, I can go to a basketball game and I can fit right in with those guys and look them eye to eye and talk about different things. And some of you don't have that same gift. Sorry, Ben. <laughs> but I do, right? And that's the beauty. Now, now listen, I want, you to, I want you to get this for just a second. Because I really want you to see this. That is one of the greatest beauties of the church. Coming together. Is that there, there are some of you that God has gifted a platform that you can share the gospel with a group of people that, not, that no one else in this room can. No one else in this room can. They won't let me into some of the places that, that they let you in. Right? And so, so Paul celebrates. He's celebrating here. He says, I want you to know, brothers, I want you to know, church, great report. What's happened to me has served to advance the gospel, and because of that, my joy is continuing. And then the second thing that brought Paul the most joy in this passage, look down at verse 18. What then, only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is is proclaimed. And in that, I rejoice. Yes, and I will rejoice. He says it two times. Not only that the Gospel is furthered, but that Christ is preached. That Christ is preached. Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is preached. And in this, I'll rejoice. Paul gives three examples. He gives three examples of how what has happened to him in prison has turned out for his joy. First, and we've already talked about it, evident to the whole palace guard, the praetorian guard, the imperial guard, whatever your translation says, and to all the rest that his chains are in Christ. See, get this context. Historians believe that Paul is not chained to a wall Okay, historians believe that Paul is not chained to a wall, but chained to as many as four guards at one time for preaching the gospel. Four guards at one time. So Paul's not chained to a, a wall here, but Paul's chained to four guards. And I'm going to tell you, as much as I've studied this, this is my life passage. 
Okay? And so as much as I've studied this, as much as I've talked about this passage, as much as I've referenced this passage, every time I just think, man, what would it like? What would it be like to be one of those guards? Hey man, who are you chained today? I think I got Paul. Oh, get ready. Get ready. I would almost rather just chain him to a wall, right? Not God's plan. Not chained to a wall, but chained to as many as four guards at one time. And what do you do while you're chained to four guards at one time when what you're passionate about and what brings you joy is the furtherance of the gospel and Christ being preached? You talk. Right? You talk. He talks. He shares. He tells stories about these churches that he planted and that, was he, that he was a part of. No doubt he probably told them because we learned last week about how the church at Philippi was so on his mind. They were on his heart. They were in his prayers. No doubt he probably talked to four of them at once about the church at Philippi. And what he was excited about. Maybe even some things he was discouraged about. And some of the things he was going to have to address with them. All for the sake of sharing Christ. So if we do the math, and again, some of these would repeat, but if you do the math, four guards every shift, three shifts a day. Paul is preaching Christ to 12 guards a day. Again, some of these may be repeated, but 84 guards a week. And some of them ended up coming to know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior because Paul ends the book in Philippians chapter 4, verse 22. Spoiler alert. All the saints greet you, but especially those of Caesar's household. Why does Paul single out for, for special mention those who are in Caesar's household? Because they were a byproduct of Paul's suffering. Because they brought him joy. Because they reminded him of the why. Because no doubt in the relationships that he built, talking, chained to these guys for hours and hours on end and sharing story after short story, no doubt that those relationships and the things that God did in those conversations gave Paul the strength and the joy to remain. To remain. In fact, if I'm a member of the church at Philippi and I read that and I read this letter with the rest of my brothers and sisters and I read, oh man, don't feel sorry for him because of what's happened. The gospel is being spread. The furtherance of the gospel. It doesn't matter how Christ has preached. Christ has preached. That's what we rejoice in. That's what we celebrate. And then we get to the end. Everyone greets you, especially those of Caesar household. What does that mean? That means the Praetorian Guard. That means some of these guys are greeting us and the Lord because of Paul. This all makes sense. We can remain. We can have joy in tough times because there's no telling how God wants to use the platform of our tough time. How encouraging that must have been for the church at Philippi to read and to see. To read and to see. And then secondly, 
right? So first, there's evident, right? There's evidence to the whole palace guard, to all the rest that his chains are in Christ. Most of the brethren in the Lord, having become confident by his chains, are much more bold to preach the word without fear. Look at verse 14. And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by his imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. And then thirdly, even though his enemies are preaching Christ for selfish reasons, Christ is still being preached. The lesson here is that if we're to have joy in the hard times, we have to change our understanding of what brings us joy. So how do we do that? How do we change our understanding of what brings us joy? You still with me this morning? All right. We're going to hit these four things really quickly. How do we change our understanding of what brings us joy? Number one, it begins by changing what you know. If we want to change our response, if we want to change what brings us joy, then we've got to change the things that we know. Right now, you know you can't rejoice in the Lord in hard times, right? Paul begins the paragraph with, I want you to no, but the, the reality is, is that we can rejoice in the Lord in hard times, and it begins with a change of mind. Get this, what we know needs to line up with the Word of God. The things that we know need to line up with the Word of God. The things that we know, the things that we get excited about, the things that we get passionate about, the things that we refer to need to line up with the Word of God. See, here's the deal, Summit Church. I want you to know with everything in your being that you can do all things through Christ who gives you strength. I want you to know that. I want you to walk boldly and confidently in that truth that tomorrow morning you can approach Monday and you can tackle it. You can do all things, whatever's on the list for the rest of today, whatever's on the list for tomorrow, for this week, for this month, for this year, you can do it through Christ who gives you strength. I want you to know that. I want you to know that God can turn something that we see as bad into something good. In fact, I would say this, if it's not good, God's not done. Some of you have heard me say that before. If it's not good, God's not done. I want you to know that He can turn something that we see as bad into something good. Pastor, what about that snowstorm this week? I don't have any control over that, okay? <laughs> but I want you to know that God can take something that we see as bad into something good. I want you to know, I want you to know that people may turn against you, but Christ never will. I want you to know that people may turn their back on you, people may think you're crazy, people may think you're ridiculous or stupid or unreliable or what, what, whatever you've been called. But Christ will never turn His back on you. I will never forget facing this reality firsthand. I was 29 years old, sitting across from someone at Dunkin' Donuts, having been the pastor here for three years at the time. Former South Coast, not Summit, because Summit wasn't around three years ago. 
and having someone look at me and say, Jesus didn't start His ministry until He was 30 years old. How in the world do you think you can shepherd people before you're 30 years old? Are you better than Jesus? And when I heard that, my heart sank. Because my first reaction was not a nice one, Darcy. I mean, I was ready to give somebody the five-fold ministry. You ever seen that? You take five, fold it, minister? No. But I realized in that moment as I was leaving that parking lot completely discouraged, I think I called Pastor Russ. I think he was the first... After I called Kristen, I think he was the first phone call that I made because I felt so defeated and so beat up. And I remembered Paul. Every person in this world may turn their back on you, but Christ never will. And I want you to know that. I want you to know that. Because life is not always going to be filled with people, happy things, great things, abundance of things. There are days that may be lonely, hard, but Christ is still right by your side. I want you to know that. I think Paul wanted the church at Philippi to know that. I want you to know that there's evidence to support the fact that those who trust in Christ will never be ashamed. So how do we rejoice in the Lord in the hard times? First of all, we change what we know. right, And we remind ourselves of those things every day that we are a son or daughter of God. We are beloved. And then second, we must become uh, what we know, right? Must become what we're confident of. Right? It's not enough just to know something. We've got to be confident in what we know. So when what we know is challenged, we can still be confident about what you know, being confident of this very thing that He who has begun a good work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. He says that in verse 6. So not only that we know, right, change what we know, but that what we know we can become confident of. Number three, it's not enough just to know and to be confident. We've got to be bold about what we know, right? It's not enough to be just know and to be confident, but we've got to be bold about what we know. We've got to, we've, we've got to walk boldly to be strong and courageous like God told Joshua three times in Joshua chapter 1. And then finally, it's not enough just to know and to be confident and to be bold, but we have to speak the Word without fear. Rejoice in the Lord always. I say it again. Rejoice. Let what you know and are confident of, bold about, speak about without fear. Change the way you feel. Before you feel, you must know. Remember your feelings are based on what you know. Worship team is going to come as we close this morning. And I've got a box here. It's a pretty box. And I think this box symbolizes a lot of how we approach Jesus and Christianity and remaining. See, I think 
if this were a gift, right? Say I was going to give the gift to, to Ben, right? Ben, do you think it's a pretty box? I love that box. You love the box, right? You love the box. See, see, how many of you, right, when you open a gift, you take very good care of the box? Save the box, right? Have you ever heard that on Christmas morning? Save the box, save the bows, right? You've heard that, right? And you just peel back the paper, right? You just peel back the paper because whoever gave this gift, right, spent a lot of time wrapping it for you, right? I spent a lot of time wrapping this for you. Can you see that? Can you see that? And so, and so for, for many of us, right, we spend a lot of time with the wrappings. I sent the girls this morning. They didn't have to look very far, but I said, I need you to find the prettiest box you can find me, okay? Because if I was going to give a gift, right, and obviously, obviously this is um, not my best wrapping job, okay? But, um, but if I was going to give a gift, right, I would, I would spend time, right? Maybe not to Ben, but if I was going to give a gift to Gloria Hodgson, I would spend a lot of time, right, really wrapping this thing, putting a bow on it, maybe, maybe doing that whole tie thing and then pulling the scissors and doing the little, the little curly thing, right? I, I, w- I would spend a lot of time, right? And see, a lot of times in, in, Christ- in Christianity, in our Christian life, in our, in our relationship with Jesus, we spend a lot of time on the box, we spend a lot of time on the box. We spend a lot of time on the wrappings. We spend a lot of time on the things that are in and around our relationship with Jesus. But what's really important about this gift is not the box. It's what's in the box. That's what sustains the joy. And so, I couldn't put Jesus in a box Right? So I just have an empty box. Sorry, Ben. But what matters more, what matters the most, what keeps us remaining, what sustains our joy, is what's in the box. Nothing else matters than the gospel of Jesus. Him proclaimed, and us growing in that relationship with Him. Nothing else. Distractions are going to come. Things are going to come that try to steal your focus, try to steal your joy. But if you will concentrate on Jesus, if you will keep Him the focus, and all that matters is the furtherance of the Gospel and that people are coming to know Him and drawing closer to Him, guess what? There's joy in that. There's joy in that. Doesn't matter what happens to you. Doesn't matter what happens around you. Doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. There's joy in Christ. And so my challenge to you this week as we we try to remain, right? As we spend time thinking about remaining and spend time thinking about sustaining our joy, my challenge to you is this. Don't spend so much time thinking about the box. Don't spend so much time thinking about, you know, I, I don't know, the, 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 the age-old things, right? What you're wearing to church, the color of the carpet, the, 
the songs that write the, the, the you know the, this thing that the pastor said or this thing that 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 happened here or this thing that happened there or you know something that he said did he really mean that or or or, or you get an email right how how bent out of shape do we get when we get emails now right we can't even hear the tone of the email right or or you know you know I mean those little things right that are just the box they're the wrappings of the thing right that don't matter what matters is the thing that's in the box the relationship with Jesus and that can keep us remaining.